0: If you have a Bible, if you'd open to Philippians 2, 12 through 18, that's where we'll be reading from this morning, and if you're following in your journal, we'll be there too on page 12. Um, It's kind of small, so you might not need a page number. Um, There's a Bible in the seat ahead of you, and also it'll be on the screens as we read it in a moment. So one, first, before we get going, is I'm so grateful for our staff and uh, our pastors here, grateful for Dave Short last week, faithfully proclaiming and teaching God's word. I don't know if you know this, if you've been around here for a while, but you, you have a unique privilege to have an incredible group of men at this church, and so grateful for each and every one of them. Yeah, there we go. Um, and, and so this morning, as we, as we continue through the book of Philippians, um, Philippians 2, 12 through 18, a little bit of um, just context um, before we dig into the text. I, I believe one of the key points of what Paul is writing, inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, and so God's revelation to us through the book of Philippians, I, I believe God is clearly trying to communicate one thing. And so kind of to put Philippians or kind of all of Paul's letter in context, if, if we could say it this way, that the Old Testament of the Bible is, is anticipating a Savior. In the Old Testament, we see that, that this world is, that, that, that man rebelled against God and in this rebellion, there's a cataclysmic event of brokenness. God sees this brokenness and he, he says that I'm going to send you a Savior. And the, the whole Old Testament is sort of this groaning and waiting of when is the Savior going to come? 400 years of silence between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Jesus comes. He's born. He walks in the flesh. flesh. The Gospels might be used in this word. The manifestation, right? That Jesus comes. He manifests himself on earth. He sacrificially gives himself, as Isaiah prophesied, and all through the Old Testament prophesied, that he would come and be crushed for our sins, our, our, our great problem of rebellion, that we needed to be reconciled to God. Jesus fully does this work. And so then he commissions the disciples to go out and make disciples. The book of Acts is sort of this, the the, the gospel moving forward, right, throughout all of the world. And then where we find ourselves in these letters is sort of in this same place. And in the same place is, is what does it look like to live this out in the flesh? What does it look like from the day that you're saved till the day that you die Living faithfully for Jesus. Now, a lot of people in the Christian life, they just want to deal with, like, you just need to get saved and then just praise God that when you die, you get to go to heaven. But is there a little bit of gap there, right? And that gap is where we find ourselves today, unless somebody is dead in this room, right? Which I don't think anybody is, so. Not yet. Some of you will fall asleep soon. And so, I had a guy tell me one time, my daughter, every time she hears you preach, she falls asleep, so. Soothing, I guess. And so, uh, or boring, some people say. Um, and so, so, where we find ourselves in the book of Philippians is what does it look to live out real faith in real life to a real God? And, and I, I believe that, that what Paul is encouraging in this text specifically is, is what is it going to take for us to get to a place where we have wholehearted devotion to a real god in real life with real faith. Now I can't diagnose that for anybody in this room. Only you can diagnose that for yourself. But what does it look like to have real faith in a real god in real life? So if you will this morning, stand with me in reverence and honor of reading God's word, reading today from again Philippians 2:12 through 18. Follow along with me as I read it out loud. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God, without blemish in the midst of a crooked Father, would you help us today to have understanding of of what you are saying to us through this passage? Lead us as a church into wholehearted devotion, each of us individually, all of us collectively, to love you more than anything else, Jesus. Lord, use me today. Speak to us, we ask in your name, Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. So as we look at this text, if you're following around, we're going to kind of look in this in chunks, and so we're going to look at 12 and 13, then we're going to look at 14 through 16, and then we're going to conclude looking at 17 and 18 together. And so the first thing that we see in the text is there's this call to work out our salvation, to, to work out our salvation. So what he does as he begins this with them is he has this affirmation of ownership an affirmation of ownership to the church in Philippi. He he says, therefore, my beloved, now, therefore, right, this is this transitional word, it's going to happen all throughout the book, and so in light of what I've just said, and so I really think this goes back to 127, and so 127, he says, live your life, right, in a manner worthy of the gospel, and so again, uh, My pages are stuck together, I believe, but uh, there we go. Um, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or an absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. And then he's gonna go into this transition and he's going to explain like, what does it mean? How do you live your life worthy of the gospel? Well, you live your life worthy of the gospel by never, ever, ever, ever forgetting what Jesus has done. That he humbled himself, and he took the form of a man, and he walked on this earth, and he gave himself up. He emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being the likeness of men. and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name of, that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so in this, therefore, because Jesus has done this, how you live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel, so therefore, my beloved, he's kind of reminding them, hey, these are some hard truths that I keep pressing into you. So just so you know, I love you, right? And my beloved, this is this endearing word that Paul is going to say to the church in Philippi. My, my beloved, I love you. I care about you, we are a part of a family of God together, beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence. So he's going to kind of make this statement that this affirmation, right, this affirmation of ownership, that, that you are doing this, you, you, you've, you, you've stood before God and you content, you, you've lived real faith, And he's going to say, "Don't stop living this out. Keep moving forward." And he's going to say, "Not only in my presence, but much more in my absence." Now, this is likened to this. So, some of you dudes, when your wife leaves home, like she has you on a diet. This is how it works. Like she has you on a diet, and then she leaves home for a week, and then what do you do? Right, like chicken wings, like you, yeah, yeah, whatever you want, man. It's on. Finally, she's gone. I can eat again. I've seen this, and I know this, and I may have done this. And so, right, these, these are things that we do. And so this kind of statement that you did it in my presence, now do it in my absence, what's the issue of your diet? It's not really your diet, is it? It's hers. And if you want to live a healthy and a good diet, what are you going to do? You're going you're to own it? You're going to do it, and you're going to take it on yourself. Now, this isn't a statement about diets. Obviously, I don't need to tell anyone about diets, but we'll say it like this, in regards to your faith, what he's talking about is real faith to a real God. Is it yours? So you can do something when I'm there because you know it makes me, the apostle, happy. But what about when no one else is looking? What about when your husband's not there, when your wife's not there, when your kids aren't there? I mean, is your faith that your kids will see you and be good and faithful or is your faith because God loved you so much that he gave his only son to die for you on the cross and no matter who's there, no matter what's happening, I am in it for Jesus. Many people's faith is simply kind of this when others are looking, when I need to show it, I will. But when I'm when I'm alone, When I'm to my own devices, I sort of just do whatever I want. Now go ahead and eat chicken wings when she's gone. I don't care about that. But when it comes to your faith, I hope, I hope that is not true of me. And I'm going to guess I hope, you hope that's not true of you. So therefore, my beloved, as you have obeyed, always obeyed, so now, not only my presence, but much more in my absence, right? That you're standing before God, that you need real faith that is really yours before a real God. So then he calls them to this practical Christianity, this day-to-day, gritty, moment-by-moment, everyday life kind of faith. He says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, These are kind of words that we don't typically talk about around salvation, like with fear and trembling, because we don't really like those words, and we don't deal with that. And there's this sort of gospel message that I think has kind of permeated our culture, that God is love, and he is caring, and this is true, like very, very true. But God is holy, right? God is set apart. God is different. Like when we stand before God, when we answer before God, it's heavier or weightier than any other thing. We'll get there in a minute. But this work out your own salvation, the the Greek word is soteria, and the word soteria is where we get our word like soteriology, the study of salvation, and soteria is a word that is used here, and soteria kind of has this threefold idea, meaning salvation. So there's, there's kind of results of sin, right? And so the results of sin cause us a need to be saved. Right, so we have this. There's this. this, So sin entered this world. There's this brokenness. So anybody in this room just want to raise your hand if you just say, "I don't think that sin is a real thing." I can prove it to you if you want to, Um, not by doing it, but by like like telling you about it. Like sin is everywhere in our world. There's brokenness everywhere in our world. And if you don't think that you have sin in you and 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 a, a bent toward that, you're crazy. Just so you know, we we all do. We all think too highly of ourselves. We think that we are more self-sufficient than we ought to think. We have a pride that is pervasive. We have a selfishness that is pervasive. There are these things that are forever. Now, God created us uniquely, and we are wonderfully, created. We are wonderfully made, but we are also deeply, deeply broken. And so, soteria, right, this salvation word, there's three things, the penalty and the power and the presence of sin. So when we come to know Jesus as Savior, when we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, when we genuinely and we truly give ourselves over to him as Lord and leader of our lives, we are saved from the penalty of sin. Right? We're saved from the penalty of sin. We are in right standing before God because of what Jesus has done, not because what have we done. We cannot achieve a righteousness on our own. It's the, the whole deal. But there's this reality, right, between the day I'm saved and the day I die, and there is a power of sin that reigns and rules in this world. And so the power of sin, right, is this present tense reality that I need to be saved from the power of sin right now today in my life. I need to be saved from myself. I need to be saved from others. I need to be saved from choices. I need to be saved. I need God's presence to lead me and guide me through this broken world. So the penalty, the power, and then one day, right, when I'm saved forever, when I go and meet Jesus face to face, I will be free from the presence of sin. So kind of this threefold idea of salvation, right, that I am saved, and this is the full work when it's completed, is that I will be saved from the penalty of sin, the power of sin, and the presence of sin. But where we find ourselves today is working out our salvation, right, moving forward in our faith, being saved from the power of sin in the day-to-day of life. So, it says, and work out your own salvation. And there's this word, right, afterwards, there's these few words, fear and trembling. With fear and trembling. Now, how many of you, like, just raise your hand, if you love to get up in front of people and do public speaking, just anybody love it today? There's probably a few, right? There's a few. How many of you, like, it, like, sort of petrifies you? Raise your hand if it, like, sort of petrifies you, okay? Me too. <laughs> no, uh, no. Uh, <laughs> It used to. Like the, the term knees knocking, I actually learned what that was because mine did it the first time I stood in front of church in my seven-minute sermon. So that was an actual thing. Uh, some people loved it uh, so, because it was seven minutes. And so some of you just said, why don't you preach seven-minute sermons anymore? Uh, and so, so so this is kind of the idea. Like what is it that causes us fear and trembling in those moments? Right? It's the idea of, like, am I going to say things right? A- am I, am I going to look like a fool? Am I, like, do I have what it takes? Like, I, oh, do I have enough to say, actually, 30 minutes of content? Like, am I going to be judged? I mean, all these things, don't they rush through our minds? That's why we're afraid of public speaking. <clears throat> it, if God is who the Bible says he is, and you have to stand before him someday and answer for all of your life, Is there not a little bit of fear and trembling about standing before God before standing in front of a group of people like this? Like, Bill, I love you, but I'm not afraid of you as much as I am God. I don't know if anybody's afraid of you. But anyway, just saying. It's like the sweetest dude ever. So, see, many of us have fear and trembling in our life. And so when we put these kind of notions toward God, we say, oh, this makes God sound terrible. No, it actually just sets him in his right place because he is holy He is set apart. He is different. He is one of a kind. He is unique. And when we answer before him, our life will have real consequences. And if my sin, if my sin hasn't been covered by the blood of Jesus, if I have not confessed him with my mouth and if I have not believed in my heart, when I stand before God, I will be cast away from his presence forever. And I will be sent and cast to hell. There is real consequence for our life. And so with fear and trembling, we stand before a holy God. Spence, in his commentary, said this, the idea of this fear and trembling, that, that have an eager, trembling anxiety, and which is an, funny because this is an older commentary. We wouldn't even write these words today about God. Have an eager, trembling anxiety to obey God in all things, considering the tremendous sacrifice of Christ, the unspeakable depth and tenderness of his love, the immense importance of a present salvation from sin, the momentous preciousness of a future salvation from death. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling text continues, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And so there's this kind of intersection that happens in this really living out faith. One, God is saying, get after it, get to working each of us individually, need to work out our salvation. But hey, there's God. And the only way for this to actually happen in your life is God is going to intersect your life and he is going to will this into actual reality. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So again, real life and real faith and a real God intersects. And when those intersect, there's a life that glorifies God and is actually obeying the text of working out their salvation. So so this is a, I think, I think when we say these terms like work out your salvation, I think they're complex thoughts for us. And I don't mean that in that we're small-minded. I mean that in the sense of, it it sort of doesn't fit the popular gospel message of our day to work out our salvation because really the gospel message that is very kind of pervasive in our society is that you don't have to do anything, right? God is for you. He's not against you. And if you'll just love others and be a really good person, like God's gonna bless you, He's going to take care of you. God is just really like amazing, therapeutic being in the sky. And so if you can't afford a counselor, just go to him. And whatever you ask him, he will give you and he will bless you and he will care for you. And you notice this, like some of those things are true. When I said those things, even as I'm saying them, I'm like, I'm dangerous here because these are not necessarily untruths, but they're just sort of twisted a little bit. And they're twisted enough to make us sort of, not see God holy and exalted, not see him where he rightly should be, and to push ourselves a little bit higher than we ought. See, the, pos- the popular gospel of our age, and this is from Michael Horton, he writes it like this, right? And this is between this kind of the, the, the gospel message that, that we are sinners and need a savior and come under the rule and reign of God and obey him to the uttermost parts of the earth and with the ends of our life, Says the only real difference is that God's rules or principles are easier, and it's all about happiness here and now, not being reconciled to a holy God who saves us from ourselves. In its therapeutic milou, sin is failing to live up to our potential, not falling short of God's glory. We need to believe in ourselves and the wages of such sins is missing out on our best life now. But it's still a constant stream of exhortation, demands, and burdens. Follow my steps and I guarantee your life will be blessed. I believe this kind of gospel message that you can have your best life now and it will lead you straight to hell. See, we have a king with a kingdom and his name is Jesus Christ. And we are under a rule and reign of his because he paid the penalty. He rescued us from sin. The wages of sin is death and separation from God forever. He rescued us from the grip of sin and his power over us and one day will forever rescue us from the presence of sin altogether. So work out your salvation, be motivated by it. Don't stop, be motivated by God and work out our salvations because we have a king named Jesus who rules and reigns. And when we come underneath his headship, when we come underneath his authority, I believe our best life will happen But it may not be how everyone sees it. But there will be an inner peace in our souls. There will be a great pride in our hearts that we are living for our king at any cost. we'll see Paul get there here in a minute. So the second thing that we see in the text is to work out our faithfulness. Work out our faithfulness. So work out our salvation. Work out our faithfulness. So the first thing that he's kind of saying is to be steadfast. And the word steadfast, resolutely firm and unwavering, decisive. He says, do all things without grumbling or disputing. So sometimes, right, when you can't say amen, you say, ouch, right? Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Isn't God's word wonderful? Like there's some things that are very concrete. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Right? Obey with joy and willfully, willfully, right? um, willfully see life underneath his headship and his providence. So do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish. So this is an idea of a responsiveness. And again, like, don't go too far from two. 5 through 11, where this kind of great gospel hymn is found, that Jesus came, he emptied himself, he came, Jesus emptied himself, he came and walked on the surface. He was obedient to the point of death. He gave himself on the cross for us. So now our response, right, is to be steadfast because of what Jesus has done for us. And so I'm going to do things without grumbling or disputing. I'm going to be responsive. And First Peter one sixteen says this, be holy for I am holy. The holy one has redeemed me. So now my life, my aim is for holiness. You may have heard me tell the story, but Years ago, there's this famous preacher named Stephen Olford, and kind of, he was a first TV preacher. He came over from England to New York, and he preached for years. He was best friends with Martin Luther King Jr., um, Billy Graham. Billy Graham in his memoir said that, that Stephen Olford taught him how to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So kind of an important guy that nobody knows about. Well, I went to the Stephen Olford School of Expository Preaching, and I had to write a paper on the guy that the Institute was named after, Stephen Olford. And I sat down with his wife, Heather was still alive, and I interviewed her. And I said, if you could describe your husband, what would you, how would you describe Dr. Olford? She paused for a moment and she said, Stephen was a holy man. That was it. (laughs) There was no other explanation of her husband. Just simply Stephen was a holy man. And I don't know as she said those words I was sitting across the table from her if, if it was like astounded joy of just someone saying that and just how cool that was for a wife to say that or great conviction that came over my own life. And, and I really, after that, there was one of my prayers was, God, if I could be like Stephen Olford in any way that someone might say that about me at the end of my life, that would be a wonderful thing, right? He had a response, <clears throat> to his savior, that he pursued a life of holiness, right? Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish. Quickly, I'll just say it like this. I believe that each of us individually need to raise the bar in our life of what is acceptable underneath the lordship of Jesus. Not because you're under law, but because you are under grace. And the grace that you have received, that I have received, I believe calls us to a far higher standard of living than the law ever could. But it's a standard living out of gratefulness. And I'll tell you this, I, I have kids and I love it when my children obey out of gratefulness rather than law. And I believe God loves it when his children respond to a higher bar because of gratefulness, not because of law. So the text continues, right? In the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, this is an uh, allusion to the people of Israel. Kind of this whole thing is, what did they do in the wilderness? They were... They were they, they were grumbling and they were disputing and they were never happy and God wasn't sufficient. Although he provided them out of their captivity, he provided them food, he provided them, right, the ability to conquer in the promised land. But they didn't believe that God could do it. They didn't believe that he was enough and they grumbled and they fought with one another, right? And so he says, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, it's an allusion back, I believe to the people of Israel saying that they were crooked and twisted. They did not trust God. Right, it was an illusion backwards, but it's a, it's a reality of our broken world. It's very contemporary. Even when we read it, I don't know if you felt the contemporary nature of this text. Right, crooked. The Greek word is skolios, twisted. Diastrafo. This is to twist and dislocate. To be confused in thinking. Right? And this, is, I believe, is our day in a, in a day in which we are confused and thinking that we are not under the reign and rule of a holy and righteous God who has a way and a path for us to live abundantly in our world and at peace and harmony with one another. But we twist things and we change things just enough to try to get what we want in our lives and live in our pride and our selfishness. Right, that's this. But he says about them, among whom you shine as lights in the world, saying that you're different than this crooked and twisted generation. You don't dispute, you don't don't come against one another, but you shine as lights in this world. This is an affirmation that the darkness that is this world, you are filled with the light of life. And then what Paul is saying to him is keep on living this way. Don't back down in a crooked and twisted generation. Don't lose your sight and look at the generation, but keep your eyes on the cross. Keep your eyes on me. Keep maintaining blamelessness. Keep going after it and keep shining as lights in this day. So then he's also going to say in this section, so work out your faithfulness, be steadfast. And he's going to say, be consistent. So this is kind of the route to the steadfastness. Be consistent, holding fast to the word of life. Be holding fast to the word of life. And so this is saying, holding fast to the word of God. That God is, see God is see God's word as valuable. That it is valuable not just for Sunday morning but it's valuable for Sunday afternoon and Sunday night and Monday morning and Monday and Monday night and every day of our week and every part of our life that God's word is valuable and it leads and guides us in a crooked generation. See it as a treasure that this isn't just any other book, but it's living and it's active and it's sharper than any double-edged sword. See God's word as profitable that it it has value to your living. And sitting underneath the authority of God, it will lead us in his ways fully. God's word reveals to us the way in which we can know God and his will and his way. It is of utmost value to those who believe. So he says, be consistent, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ, I may be proud of you that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Now we're gonna get to that statement here in a second that Paul's saying, but what he's saying is hold fast to the word of life. This is the route, this is the way in which all of this occurs as you hold fast to the word of life. You wanna work out your salvation? Hold fast to the word of life. You want real faith and real life with a real God? Hold fast to the word of life. So imagine that on, on that day, wonderful day in 2002 when Debbie Johnston and I stood before Troy Reynolds, our pastor at the time, and we stood up in front of everyone and we looked at each other and we exchanged vows. But imagine with me if I would have just simply said to Deb this, Debbie Johnston, I I commit to love you today and to marry you. And I also promise you that we will have a great retirement together. That was it, right? But between today, my commitment to marry you, and our retirement, I'm not making a ton of promises because I'm not sure how this is all gonna shake down or work out. And so like today I'm committed to you and in retirement I'll be committed to you. But between today and retirement, eh, see what happens. Like if you went to that wedding, you'd be like, that was weird. I don't feel like he's very committed to her. I'm going to go on a year they're going to stay together, right? You probably put good money on that, right? See, Jesus promised an abundant life, but his abundant life is found in obedience to him, not just when we die, but today. I said at the beginning of our time that there's this point, right? When I come to know Jesus... there will be a day that I will be in his presence forever but between now and then what does your faith look like before a real God it matters see there's more to salvation than just simply a commitment to God and a commitment to retirement there's a commitment to the today here and now toward him And I believe what Paul is saying to them is hold fast to the word of life because in this life it matters. It matters that when you came to know Jesus, you said, I'm going to wed myself to you. I'm going to connect my heart to your heart. I want to become more like you. I want to come underneath your reign and rule. And so now let that be so, so that when I see you face to face, that I did that which you asked See, the good news of Jesus Christ is not just good news to save, it is good news in life because the power of sin that so deeply grips us can be loosened and loosened and loosened. If you have a struggle, if you have an addiction, if you have all kinds of things that ensnare us and entangle us, Jesus can break us from those chains that hold us and bind us. His power is real, not just to save, it is real in your life and it is available. Third and last, it's a call to work out our devotion. So he calls us to work out our salvation, work out our faithfulness, and work out our devotion. Work out our devotion. Paul is going to kind of of set the bar pretty high for this. What he's going to make kind of this grand statement is, is others are worth the risk even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. There's a peculiar ethic of the Apostle Paul's life that you kind of, it's, it's sort of in all of his writings. And I believe that God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, d- deeply embedded this in his heart. Listen to this from 2 Corinthians 4, 8 through 12. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Now that last verse, so death is at work in us, but life in you. See, it's the same thing that he's saying in these two texts. And what he's saying is that I have given my body over to death that you might have life. Oh, Philippians, the hardship that I'm going through is so that you will fully embrace the fullness of Jesus in his reign and rule, that I will be a practitioner of this faith. I am not going to tell you to do something that I am unwilling to do. Paul says, I have given my body over to death that you might have life. He's saying that I am being poured out as a drink offering, Romans 12, offering our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, giving up all of myself, all of my rights, all of my wants, all of my hopes, all of my dreams so that others might have life. Every great hero that we admire in history gave up that others might have. It is the story underlining every story that warms our hearts and brings tears to our eyes. And I believe that God is asking every person in this room to sacrificially live their lives so that others might have life, to give up that others might have. And even as I look around the room, I see different people that I know they're living this way. They are giving up all of the trappings of this world, in many ways, so that others might have. And that can be done in many different ways. But Paul says, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. I am glad. I'm not grumbling. I'm not disputing. I'm not telling everyone my hardship for Jesus. I'm good. And I rejoice because I know that heaven is my home. In this world, I'm just passing through. I am living for a crown of righteousness, not crowns that will be thrown at my feet on this earth. So he says, others are worth the risk and hold fast to personal joy. So he says, likewise, you should be glad and rejoice with me. Likewise, you should be glad and rejoice with me. And I believe this is sort of this all call that we should all not only just embrace this kind of life, but Paul is saying, don't, don't, don't worry about me. I'm good. Rejoice with me that the gospel is moving forward in this world. Because at the end of the day, the big deal for every one of us, right? I told you this a few weeks ago, if you want to know the will of God for your life, the will of God is to use every good bit of who you are to see the gospel move forward in this world in your flesh. So, we've sang these songs. I've sang them my whole life. There are songs like, I surrender all, right? All to Jesus, I surrender. All to Jesus, I freely give. I hope when I sing those lyrics personally that those are true. And I believe this text kind of helps us see what it means to say those words with honesty. Because see, they're more than quaint words that take us back They're real words of an amazing hymn that help us to articulate with a song the true desire of our heart that I surrender all, all to you I freely give. One of my favorite songs of all time. It says, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. I don't believe there could be a more true statement in any lyric of any song than that for our lives. So call us to rejoice with those who are sacrificially offering up their life and then personally consider giving yourself increasingly that others might have life. Consider your life used for his kingdom. So to conclude today, progress, forward movement, inwardly, It's really the call of this text, to work out our own salvation, to do, titled the sermon, soul work, the deep inner work that no one can do for you, but you must do for yourself. And answer questions about real faith and real life underneath the authority of a real God. See, God, he doesn't just want our actions he wants us. He wants our heart. And I'd say it even more profoundly as scripture, would, he wants our soul. So today, how might we respond? If you've never received Jesus as Lord and Savior, today would be a great day to do that, to start a new life, moving from darkness to light, to admit that you are a sinner and you have rejected the rule and reign of God place your faith and trust in him. So that would be a great response, I believe, to this text today. If you've never done that, I hope you do. Another response would be to consider your life. Consider your devotion. Consider your faithfulness. Another response might be to consecrate, to freely Again, say, God, I surrender, I yield, I, I lay myself before my feet, my life is yours, do with it what you will. And if you have rested on a commitment long, a long time ago with that one, I would just encourage you to do that every day of your life. Jesus, I surrender and I yield myself to you. I am in need of your grace today in my life to fulfill your will and purposes for me today. Grace is not just something that comes at salvation. It is something we need until we see him face to face. Unless you are a far better person, more sanctified than anyone else in this room. Another response would be to continue to work out, to commit, to be reminded, all of these things, to, to keep moving on, to keep moving forward, increasingly letting our lives come underneath the authority and the rule and reign of Jesus. And so simply this, and this might be for all of us today, maybe the commitment would simply be this. I commit to live out my faith. I commit to live out my faith. And that commitment is simply a statement that I believe that Christ is enough and I don't need to do anything else. Let's pray together. Father, Father, This morning, we thank you for your word. Lord, we believe that it's true. And Lord, we 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 know greatly that real faith in the real world with you, our real God, is is far more challenging than we typically ever admit. Lord, for forgive us for going at it alone. Forgive us for trying to earn your favor, where we believe that only through Jesus can we have your favor. But Lord, we also recognize that you are calling us to work diligently for you and your kingdom, to become more like you, to be holy But Lord, we we also recognize that it is you who works this out in us. So Lord, help us to surrender. Help us to be diligent. Help us to work out our salvation. Lord, help us to be steadfast. Help us to be devoted to you above all else. And Lord, help us to commit whatever it is that you're asking us to, to commit today. But I pray and I hope, Lord, that many people in this room simply make the commitment to live out their faith underneath your rule and reign today. For those that don't know you, Lord, give them, give them the words and the way that they can today before you confess their sin and surrender their lives to you. And for those who have believed, Lord, give them the strength to commit to live out their faith underneath your reign increasingly with their lives. Help us to respond, we ask in Jesus' name, amen.